and welcome to Swade. My name is Sarah Osteen, and today I am speaking with Nina Lorez Collins, who is super interesting. She has founded this incredibly popular Facebook group called What Would Virginia Woolf Do? based on her interest in creating dialogue and discussion around the challenges that women in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond face. I'm a part of this group, so I have gotten to know her a little bit through that. She's also written a book called What Would Virginia Woolf Do? that is funny and insightful. I recommend everybody take a look at it. She's been written up in a variety of magazines, including Elle and The Guardian, and she is currently working on a memoir about her mother, Kathleen Collins, who was a very little-known Black screenwriter. You can Google Kathleen Collins and learn a little bit more about her in uh, some New Yorker articles. But she wrote a film called Losing Ground that is fascinating. And Nina is uncovering some of the information from her diary and sharing it as part of a memoir. So thanks so much for joining us today, Nina. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Great. Well, I'm interested in talking to you because of the way that this group in particular has influenced so many women. Uh, and uh, we can kind of get into some of the nuances around that. But um, just to sort of start out, what, what motivated you to start the, the Wolfers Facebook page? Um, I started the group, it was a little over three years ago. I, was, I had just turned 46 and I was starting to um, have signs of perimenopause, which at the time I didn't know existed. So I was, my periods were getting spotty and uh, I was definitely feeling kind of more anxiety and depression than I was used to. And I, the big thing that started happening was I suddenly wasn't sleeping at all, which was for me completely unheard of. Um, so I don't know if this has happened to you yet, but it's pretty common um, in, you know, our forties and fifties to suddenly have, start having sleeping issues. So I would like wake up at 4am and be wide awake for two hours. And, and it was really pronounced and strange. And so I started Googling it and realized it was a sign of perimenopause. And, um, turns out perimenopause, there are like 33 symptoms. It's, it's a whole world that I knew nothing about. And I basically just wanted to create a Facebook group so I could talk to my closest girlfriends in a kind of like funny, self-deprecating way about aging. The line that really got to me is that one of the documented symptoms of perimenopause I found online was impending sense of doom. Which I thought was really funny. Like this is a medical symptom for women in their forties and fifties. Um, so I started this group and I invited like my twenty or thirty closest friends. I live in Brooklyn, and it's all kind of a lot of just friends from here um, to talk about aging. Like, what does it feel like to you know discover your first gray pubic hair or whatever? And but I called it what would Virginia Woolf do because most of my friends are like really smart, big readers, feminists. At the time I was in a graduate program at Columbia in something called narrative medicine. And I was reading a lot of Virginia Woolf. And of course she's like a feminist icon hero who killed herself in her fifties. So the dark joke of the title is, you know, should I just call it a day? Should I just, you know, walk into the river? Right. Um, I wouldn't have probably called it what would Virginia Woolf do had I known the group was going to become this kind of obsessive, um, wonderful, addictive thing that grew and grew. We now have like 26,000 members around the world. And um, it's really this like sisterhood of super smart women who um, 
have found this forum where we can be like really honest about stuff that we don't generally feel we have permission to talk about um, stuff about our kids and our lovers and work. And um, we talk about books a lot. Um, but I think the, the, the common denominator is that these women are very smart and wanting to be very open and funny about the real shit that we go through. And that's exactly what it is. One of the things that strikes me about the group is that there is a range of topics. So everything from dry skin and changes in your hair to dealing with a spouse. I don't know if you said there was one this week that was like a, about a woman whose whose husband had just gotten a terrible diagnosis within the last 24 hours. And yeah. her life was sort of, is, is essentially been upended. Uh, and... How do you balance the range of questions or is that not something that you're really worried about? You know, it really, I mean, the thing that has been so incredible about this experience and the reason I've kind of thrown myself into it full time and I'm trying to turn it into an actual business is that it has been the most organic experience of my life. Um, it really is almost like a monster that has like taken over my life. It has just grown in this. I mean, there are things we do to push it in certain directions and we do approve and not approve certain posts, but but that question, the balance of what goes up is purely organic. We really get the high and the low and everything in between. Um, I'd say sometimes we don't approve if, if we have too many, what we consider kind of dear diary posts, like really people just venting. We don't post a lot of those. And there are weeks where we feel like the group is getting too sad or where it's getting too silly or where sometimes we worry, is it highbrow enough? But then it always kind of turns around and goes back to like something remarkable will happen or, you know, or there'll be some incredible exchange and everyone's kind of gripped. So it, it, it really kind of does itself. It's fascinating. That is really interesting. Uh, do you ever see people giving advice that you just fundamentally disagree with? And what do you, how do you, if, if you do, like what, what's your role yeah, in that? Yeah, um, we do. I mean, so I'm like, I'm a life coach. Also, I know you're a coach. Um, you know, so I have opinions about advice, but I'd say, uh, let's see. I mean, we'll go in and say we think you're wrong or I'll say I disagree. But part of the idea behind the group, one of the things I, I used to say a lot when I was first describing it was that um, it's a supportive environment, but it's not a support group, right? We're not, it's not saccharine. It's not all like you go girl. You know, the idea is that we're smart and we have a lot of experience and we're going to say what we think. So it's really fine if someone doesn't agree. I mean, you know, we don't allow racism. We don't allow, it's pretty much a, a group of liberal, you know, politically liberal women. Although we don't, um, we don't, we don't officially, we're not a political group. So you can be in the group if you're a Trump supporter, but you generally have to be kind of careful. So I'd say like, if someone came in on an abortion thread and was like super anti-abortion, that would probably not be cool. And if they, couldn't temper it, we'd probably remove them or say something really strong to them. Like there's certain things that are not okay. You know, if someone was like rah, rah about building a wall, like that would not be okay. Um, but if someone says like, I don't know, whatever, I think erectile dysfunction drugs are embarrassing and I would never want to talk to my partner about them. We'd be like, huh, that's interesting. Okay. You know, we want to hear the breadth of opinion. 
So you just sort of allow it to happen as as needed. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. It's an interesting question, actually. No one's asked me that. Like, if someone gave bad advice, I'm trying to. You have to tell. Like, what's an example of bad advice? Um, you well, know, you should give your child Fritos and Diet Coke. I think we'd be like, what? But you know what? We don't have people in the group. Generally, honestly, the group, the women are smart, so we don't get a lot of like really idiotic comments. Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen stuff like um, someone's worried that their spouse is cheating on them, for example, mm-hmm. and there will be recommendations about like how to, you know, go through poke around in his phone or something like that. And yeah. I think part of me, I read that and I'm like, why wouldn't you just talk to him about it? <laughs> you know, well, that's an example, but that's where someone else is going to weigh in and say exactly that. But you're right. It's a good point. The infidelity threads. I mean, there's certain subjects that we know are likely to go haywire and people are going to be really triggered and maybe say kind of crazy things. Mm-hmm. Infidelity is certainly one of them. You know, yeah. people are not always at their, I mean, what's rational? I mean, infidelity is really hard. It's a hard subject. So I'd say generally our tack there, me and the moderators, when we see stuff we think is kind of out there, we'll just go in and say so and kind of try and right the ship. But we, we, we rarely feel like, you know, someone is wrong in some egregious way. You know, it's, that's usually just bad behavior. And then we remove those people. Right. Yeah. So if we kind of focus in on this concept of positively influencing people, do you have a sense of the, the power of this group and how it positively influences people? I mean, obviously it's a forum, it's community, but... Well, I, I, I do. Yeah. It's actually been super fascinating. Last year I traveled across country. i had had a bad breakup and I decided to move to LA for a few months and then I published my book. And so I was on a little bit of a book tour. So I met a lot of wolfers, which is what they call themselves. We call ourselves. I met a lot of wolfers across the country. And the the number one thing women say to me when they talk about the group, which is so moving is that it makes them feel normal. It makes them feel understood. It makes them feel like the things they're going through, um, you know, aren't crazy and that they and so I think it has been while I hesitate sometimes to use the word empowering I think the experience of the group for all of us I would imagine for you for it's certainly the truth for me is that it's given us a lot of strength um as women to realize to see these other like smart interesting women doing all sorts of different things and some of them are really suffering and struggling and some of them are really thriving at this particular moment but to realize that we all have so much to offer and have so much wisdom and have so much resilience. I think it's been really mind blowing for a lot of us. And um, like, I know when I started the group, you know, my kids were starting to leave. I had the empty nest. I was really feeling a little like, God, what, what are the next 40 years going to be like for me? Like, you know, I'm no longer as attractive as I once was. I'm not sure what my career is. You know, I, I, I was really feeling a lot of self-doubt that I don't feel right now. And a lot of that I think has come from the group. Uh, Yes, I would totally agree that there is a sense of normalizing things Um, because I'm not somebody who posts in the group, but I do enjoy reading the posts and I occasionally comment. Mm -hmm. Um, But just reading the threads, you're right. It makes me feel like I'm not so crazy. Um, I, 
I, something one that specifically stands out to me is a, a woman who is in the midst of trying to finish her PhD and feeling like she was pulled in so many different directions, and yet she was standing in her kitchen eating peanut butter off of a spoon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh man, I've so been there before." Yeah. Like that image has like stuck with me. I think I've even used that metaphor before. So that's great. But you, I feel like you get some pushback because you actually are a very beautiful woman. Anybody who Googles you will see. And sometimes I feel like women are like, well, you know, you always have men interested in you. It must be so easy for you. I mean, I've seen those comments. <laughs> do you, do you ever, <laughs> does that ever hit you or no? <laughs> I mean, that's but, but also, I think one of the things we've, one of the most interesting threads to me, this was a long time ago, um, newcomers won't remember it, but there was a really, I think, I think it was my fault. I think I started it. I was trying to buy a car and I posted, you know how it is sometimes as a woman buying a car. It's one of my hate buying cars. I always don't know if I'm getting ripped off. And so anyway, I started a thread about buying a car and the next day someone posted and said they had been really triggered by the car thread because they felt, um, like the group was full of privileged women and this woman couldn't afford to buy a new car. And she felt really resentful about my post. And, um, it was a, what ensued was a really good conversation about this idea of privilege. And I, um, you know, I really took it to heart. I don't, I don't, we, we work very hard to make sure the group is diverse in a million different ways. And it's not full of a lot of privileged women by a long shot, but I really heard her, but it made me reflect on the ways in which the group has made me not feel privileged, which is that like, I don't have a father I talk to. My mother is dead. I've been divorced twice. So I don't, you know, there are women who write about their really great marriages or their loving fathers or their safe and easy childhoods. And I didn't have that. And so I get triggered in those moments sometimes. And I think the group has made us really look at that. Like, you know, so if someone were to say, oh, she's pretty, I mean, it's true. I do have an easy time finding men. I don't know how pretty I am. I'm feeling old, but (laughs) finding finding boyfriends is something that has not been that hard for me. That's true. But there are a lot of other things that have been crazy hard for me. And I think we see that in the group. And I think that's, so even I get pushed back because I'm the leader and I post a lot and like, I get it. But, um, but I think for the most part, I, I hope certainly the women in the group understand how complicated my own life is. Like I'm no different from anyone else. And I think I so appreciate you saying that. Um, it makes you very human to think about how your response might be when you hear about these stable or traditional families and how that might make you feel. Yeah. 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 So what do you think are some of the power dynamics at play for women over th- 40? I mean, has your perspective on that changed since starting this group and, and hearing from even more women? I mean, so personally, I feel like where I feel like the group has been, you know, a source of power for a lot of women, I, I think the reality in the real world, um, you know, like, I guess I think of this issue of reinvention, which feels to me like a bit of a trap. You know, women feel the pressure to reinvent. And a lot of us all the time are trying to do it. I'm trying to do it right now. I mean, um, it's, it, it's a constant pressure. And I think it is, I think the reality is it's really, really fucking hard. I mean, I don't think our group has changed the way 
older women are seen in the world. I think it's changed the way we women in this group, Wolfers, feel to a certain extent. I think it's given us some confidence and some power. But do I think it's still hard out there being an aging woman? Yes. Or being an aging man, for that matter. I mean, it's hard to feel like irrelevance is on the horizon. That's just hard. Yeah. It's it's a very lonely feeling. Yeah. 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 And I think we all, and it's definitely not just women, it's men too. I mean, in our group, we're focusing on how we experience it, but I think it's, you know, there are a lot of realities, you know, like you talked about the post about the woman whose husband is sick. I mean, we are getting older. Our bodies are eventually going to fall apart. We're all eventually going to die. We're, you know, we're not as relevant to the culture as we once were when we were young. I mean, these things are just true. Um, and part of the idea of the group is to be able to talk about that and kind of make fun of ourselves and make light of it and figure out how to deal with it. But you can't pretend it's not true. Um, so, sorry, that's kind of a dark answer, but no, that's... I think I, I, <laughs> well, no, we're not going to change the reality of the situation through this group, but it's, uh, it, it's interesting to see some, some of the issues at, at play. Um, and yeah. I'm yeah, I think learning how to learning how to deal with. I mean, I have been so so heartened by. Like, I love having the older voices in the group, the women who are in their seventies. Kind of the average age of what would Virginia Woolf do is probably fifty two to fifty four. Um, but we have women in their obviously forties, fifties is the is the bulk of it, and then quite a lot in their sixties and increasingly more in their seventies. I wish we had women in their eighties. Cause I think learning from these different perspectives, I mean, the, the opposite of what I was just saying before is that most people say that the best time of their lives, the best decade of their lives is in their fifties. And we see lots of women in their sixties and seventies talking about the, the liberation of getting older and the joys of, you know, whatever childhood, pers- I mean, grand- being a grandmother and perspective changing. And I'm sure it, you know, it's not like it's all bad and it's super helpful to learn from those women. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I have appreciated reading those as well. I, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the lack of sleep and I feel like I'm a funny representative because I had a child at age 40. And so I'm like still being woken up by him. So I'm like, I don't know if it's like getting older <laughs> that I don't sleep or because I have a toddler. But You're never sleep again, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just never going to sleep. <laughs> so what has been the influence on you? I imagine that there's maybe some positives and negatives uh, from starting this group, but hopefully mainly positives. But I mean, it's mostly been incredibly positive. It's been a really surprising, just almost like shocking experience. Um, I mean, I'm 49 now, I'll be 50 in August. And the last five years have been a a lot of uh, creative, unexpected creative richness. I, um, you know, my mother died, Kathleen Collins died 30 years ago, relatively unknown. And um, about four or five years ago, I had her feature film, a film called Losing Ground, remastered, mostly for personal reasons and for family and because I didn't want to let it just die. Um, But it ended up getting picked up by a distribution company called Milestone and then released to kind of extraordinary attention and reviews. And then I published a book of hers, a collection of short stories that had literally been sitting in a trunk for 30 years um, called Whatever Happened to Interracial Love. And that got extraordinary attention. And now just this month in February, I published a 
second book, a collection of selected work by my mother called um, Notes from a Black Woman's Diary, Selected Works of Kathleen Collins. And that just got this rave, rave New Yorker and New York Times review. So the whole experience I've had with my mother's work um, has been totally unexpected. And like people think I did something great for her. Really, honestly, I just took the steps to bring the work out and then the work was just received in this extraordinary way. Um, and it's been really helpful because I'm trying to work on my own memoir about my own life and childhood, which of course is a lot about my mother. So there's that part of my life in the last few years. And then there's been this group, which just really started accidentally and has completely taken over my life. I mean, the downside of it is that I'm working really, really hard on all these things that aren't, making any money or very, very little money. So I'm kind of losing money and I'm grateful that I can afford to, but I have to figure it out. Um, you know, it's not easy to, to try and, you know, for a long time I resisted turning the group into a business and then it's really very demanding. I mean, the moderators and I, who all are volunteers work nonstop. And so the idea was, okay, we have to figure out how to make this sustain itself. And so we started a website called thewolfer.com, Wolfer with two O's. Um, we launched a podcast called Raging Gracefully. The first season is out on iTunes. Um, we have a little, it's fun. The podcast is fun to do and I love the title. Um, and we have a little online store. We have events, we have retreats. So we have really, we've gone kind of whole hog into starting this kind of lifestyle brand, but it's a little absurd to be, you know, a bunch of women in our fifties trying to launch a lifestyle brand. Content is hard to sell. You know, the whole thing is very unknown where it's going to go. Um, but it has also seemed kind of impossible to resist because the women are so passionate about the group and we love it so much. And so, yeah, I'd say it's been a very surprising five years and I have no idea where I'll be five years from now. But Well, We'll see. It's going to be interesting regardless. Uh, what has been the response to the uh, the trips and the, the sort of physical component of bringing community together? You know, in the beginning, we all kind of knew each other or, you know, it was like friend of friend. It was very intimate. So we started having events. The first thing we did was we invited Sandra Singh Lowe, a writer I really admire who wrote The Mad Woman and the Volvo, which is a great book on menopause. And we invited her to come to New York and she did like a, a public speaking event. And we had like 130 wolfers show up. But when I think back to that event, which was three years ago, we all knew each other. Um, so we continue to have events. We do all sorts of things. Like we'll do, we'll go to Babeland and get a lecture on, you know, vibrators, or we'll do a literary event. We'll do a reading with an author or, um, uh, we do, we've done a bunch of clothing swaps, which are super popular. We'll do a Scrabble tournament. So we do local small events, mostly in New York. We've had a couple in LA, but mostly in New York. And then we've done, um, three retreats. We, a bunch of us went to Canyon Ranch last year in the Berkshires. We had a very low cost, really fun camping trip in the Adirondacks in July, which was run by this amazing woman named Hannah Casey. And then we did a trip to Austin in November to Texas, which was really fun. And what's happening is as the group is getting larger at these retreats, we get, you know, strangers, women show up, I don't know. And, um, so it's a whole new it's a whole new thing and we're trying to figure it out. We have four trips planned for 2019. The first one's to Joshua Tree in April and I mean 
the great thing is that, and we're, you know, we're doing it as a way to see if this is something Wolfers want. And it's not a huge moneymaker, but it's a little bit of a moneymaker. I mean, we now have a full-time assistant, so we're really just trying to kind of cover our basic costs. Um, and the idea is these women are amazing. We want to meet them. We know each other online. We do find that when we, when you meet a Wolfer, I always say there's like a 97 or so percent chance you're really going to hit it off. There's a real connection. Like I'm sure if you and I met in person, we would like each other. Like there's a kind of, I don't know if it's because we have the group and we kind of have that to talk about, or the group has kind of established kind of ground rules or a, a tone or something. But I just find these women over and over again, I meet them and I immediately like get them and really like them and find them interesting. And, um, I suppose one problem that I've literally like, really had with this group is like, I don't have enough room for all these new friends. Mm-hmm. So like I, in the beginning I would meet women and really remember who they are and remember their story. And that has started to shift for me. Like there are only so many stories I can, you know, absorb. Um, so, so the idea behind the trips is to provide in real life community, like the community we're providing online and to grow it in person, which we think we think there's demand for and room for. That's great. And I hope that you continue to be able to grow and you're not responsible for remembering every person's individual story. I think just being there as the the leader is is really important. In that in that same vein, what's so interesting about you is that I feel like I know a fair amount about you, and yet I obviously butchered your name in the beginning, and I, I've never met you in person, but you're very open about your own personal life, and you share pictures, and what has that experience been like for you to have you know 26,000 people around the world, women around the world, know some relatively intimate information about you? Is is that, yeah. yeah, I mean, so I started, I, you know, my background's in book publishing. I was a literary agent, a scout for a long time till my mid late thirties. Um, always an entrepreneur. I had two different businesses, one in my twenties and one in my thirties and I had never written. And, you know, my mother was a writer and, um, people always asked me if I was going to write. And I didn't think for a long time that I had a story to tell. And in my late thirties, I started writing. I wrote a very, uh, I mean, the editor friend who got me to write this piece for Elle sometimes now feels guilty about it. She wonders if I I, I regret it. I wrote a piece for Elle magazine, um, I guess about 10 or 12 years ago. It's called The Fighter. And it's a piece about domestic violence. It's a piece about my rage in my marriage to my first husband and hitting him and getting arrested for it. Mm. Um, it's very complicated. Basically, in my 30s, I... I I had a very difficult marriage and I, it's what led me to start writing this memoir about my mother, which, you know, my childhood was full of um, kind of anger and some violence and a lot of adultery. It was, it was a complicated childhood and it certainly spilled over into my adult life. So anyway, I started my quote unquote writing career by writing this piece for Elle about this violence issue. And it's kind of a shocking piece. And it's true. When I look back in retrospect, I think, oh my God, I can't believe I wrote that piece. But I think I was really struggling with, I don't know, trying to figure out my own story and writing really helped me do that. And I subsequently went on to get a master's, as I mentioned before, in this weird program at Columbia called Narrative Medicine, which is all about um, 
it's all about telling your story to heal, essentially. So I'm a big believer in that concept. Um, there's a lot of academic work on the subject. There's a guy in Texas who does a lot of work on it. On it. His name is escaping me right now. Um, but I believe in the power of you know, self-reflective writing. And so then I went on to, I wrote a piece for Vogue, and I wrote a lot for Huffington Post on divorce. And I just really like this kind of first-person writing. And that kind of led to the group. And so I guess, you know, I feel fine about it. I mean, it's, as the group has grown, the truth is I'm not as forthcoming as I used to be because I have in a few instances suffered, um, suffered from being so honest in the group. Things have come back to my family or my lovers or whatever. You know, I have to be careful about my children's privacy. I have to be careful about the privacy of um, my romantic partners. Um, we now have a subscription group called Wolflandia, which costs $75 a year. And we really created that group in large part because I was craving um, the smaller, safer space that Virginia Wolf used to provide for me. Um, so that's the long answer to that question. I, I'm very, I mean, I really am a huge believer in like no shame and that we should be able to be honest. And so I think I, I set the tone in the group for women to not be ashamed of what's going on in their lives and to say what their truth is. And so I'm happy to do that and model that and encourage other people to do it. Cause I think it's really important. Yes. What I'm oh, hearing yeah. is that you are the epitome of that cheesy therapy phrase, name it to tame it. So you, yeah. know, you put it out there as part of your own healing process, which is pretty powerful. And I wish that we all could be better about that. Uh, so going back to your experience with Elle, once you published that piece, what was what was the response from other people and for yourself? How did you feel afterwards? It was good. It was actually fine. I think I you know I think probably a lot of people were shocked and horrified by it. I'm not really sure, um, but it felt good to me. It's a very good piece. I'm proud of it. The writing I think is excellent. The editor, I mean, excellent. That's a little much, but Lori Abraham, the editor at L who's now at New York magazine is crazy smart. And she's an old friend of mine. And it was a very hard piece to write. And it took like eight months to write those measly 5,000 words. Um, but it was kind of an invaluable experience for me. Um, and thanks to her, I really felt like she got a good piece out of me. And it was, you know, for me, it was the first published piece of writing I'd ever done. And subject aside, it was a huge accomplishment. Um, so, so, you know, I do slightly squirm when I see it now, but it's a part of my story and it's true and it is what it is. I'm no longer hitting men, thank God. Um, but I was really angry at that period of my yeah, life. Yeah, I mean, get, getting a piece in L is a huge accomplishment. How do you shrug off the potential negative responses to you, whether or not it's, you know, the piece in L or with the Wolfers? What, how do you manage that personally? You know, uh, I mean, I think probably because I've gotten so much love from the Wolfers, honestly, and so much appreciation and it, it, it's so clear what it's done for so many women. I mean, that's been really heartening. So I guess I've, you know, and also I'm a little older. It's a little easier for me to put things in perspective. Like I just, I feel like this is who I am and it's, you know, it doesn't work for everyone, but I like who I am. You know, I don't know. It's fine. I think when I was younger, that kind of stuff was much harder for me. It's not really so hard. I mean, I say that now, if and when I finish this memoir that I'm writing and 
get it out into the world, I think that that will be hard because it's a very, it's, it's, it's the most personal thing I've ever written and it's fairly dark and it's very honest. And, and that, I think that will be scary. Um, cause it's kind of a full accounting in a lot of ways of my life. Um, but I'm not going to worry about that right now. I'm just going to keep writing. Um, so, you know, yeah, sometimes it's hard, you know, no one wants to feel disliked or criticized, but I feel like I've done a lot of good, honestly. And so I can kind of keep that in the heart of things. Yeah. Focus on the, just the huge amount of positive influence that you've been able to have, um, that clearly outweighs any negative responses. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously you have this wealth of content from your mother that you're going through and making sense of, but what, what motivated you to, to write the memoir about her? Well, when I started, it was really because of my divorce and because of my, you know, the state I was in my mid thirties, really, I felt kind of crazy. And I felt, I mean, basically what my mother died when I was 19, she had kept her illness a secret for a long, long time. So I found out she was sick two weeks before she died. I had been living in Europe with a boyfriend and I was called home and she died within two weeks. And I was, um, the one thing she asked of me was to become the guardian for my younger brother who was 15, my only brother. So I had a stepfather and I had a father my parents were divorced, but it was me who had to take on the responsibility for my brother. And, um, it was a very traumatic time. There was no money and she had really raised us alone. The stepfather was a late, they got married a year before she died. Um, and she was a huge force of a person and, um, it was just hugely traumatic. And I basically, my reaction to it was to kind of jump into my life. I, I got married to a much older man. I had four kids. I started a business. I was kind of, um, I'm always a little bit on auto drive, like that hyper drive, but I was really kind of super, I don't know, forging ahead in my twenties. And I buried a lot of pain and grief and sadness that I really didn't know how to deal with. And it all kind of bubbled up in my thirties and, um, you know, my marriage was miserable and I, I had had an affair and it was, it was just awful. And, um, I got divorced and I basically said like, I really need to like look at my life and figure out what the fuck I'm doing. Like I have four children to raise. And so I went back and I had had this trunk that I had been carrying around since my mother died. I I wrote about this in the Vogue piece I wrote. Um, I had like piled when she died and I moved out of the house that my stepfather was still in who I didn't get along with. Um, and I just took all of her written work with me and I had not looked at it. So, um, around age 38, after my divorce, I took that trunk out of the basement and started reading my mother's work. And it was a lot of stuff. It was diaries and letters. People had sent me letters that she had written to them over the years that I had just stuck in this trunk. So hundreds and hundreds of letters, hundreds of pages of diaries, and then all of this creative work that she had written that had never been published, short stories, a novel, um, screenplays, plays, um, a big body of work. And I started to kind of try and make sense of it as a way to make sense, make sense of my own life, to understand who I was, like kind of where does she end and where do I begin? I mean, basically her death to say her death was, is, was, and is the defining, um, you know, incidents in my life is an understatement. I mean, it, it really has been everything in my life in a lot of ways. And, um, working through that 
to just figure out who I am has been the process. And it's just a weird, weird coincidence, not coincidence, but just weird additional thing that in the course of it, I ended up bringing her, her work out to the world and it got this incredible attention, which was just completely unexpected and bizarre. So are you hoping to achieve some something personal out of this or is there a state or an understanding that you're hoping to achieve or is it more just a process? Yeah, yeah I think so I mean then I think I have in a lot of ways done that I mean it's kind of interesting to see how slow and long it takes like I started writing this book 10 years ago and you know you hear about people who say oh it took 10 or 15 years to write write, write a book and I can't really imagine what that feels like, but now I know what that feels like. And this book has been torture to write. And I, I started and I put it aside and I think I'm in a better place. I mean, figuring out your memoir, where does it end? What's the, where does it begin? What's the point you're trying to make? What are the stories and the scenes that illuminate the point you're trying to make? It's really, really difficult. And um, the Virginia Woolf book was, was very easy in comparison because it was like really straightforward. Like I'm going to write about, you know, heart health and I'm going to write about, whatever, you know, dryness. And this is a very different thing. Um, I think what I've been trying to achieve and what I'm actually kind of achieving is a separation from my mother and a kind of perspective, um, a perspective on my own life and a sense of peace. And, you know, I, I have, um, she no longer, it's funny, even though now I spend so much time on her career, her, um, she no longer dominates my life in the way that she used to. I feel, I feel separated in a, a large way. And I presume, I assume that will continue. There's a, a cataloging maybe of it or making sense of it. Yeah. Or maybe just a growing up or, you know, I, I mean, I think when people have, I mean, you know, my childhood left me with a lot to work through, I guess is you know, the way to put it. And, um, I think, I mean, it does that, our childhoods do that for all of us and some are harder than others. And, you know, some people it takes longer than others and some people never look at the stuff that they're, they struggle with. And, um, you know, I think for me, it's been mostly like, how do I, how do I achieve more peace? Yeah. You know? Well, I hope that that path continues and that that you do get more peace out of it. <laughs> I can't wait to, I can't wait to see it. Uh, well, you know, I just want to end on a, a positive note. I'd love to hear an, an idea from you about how women can continue to support one another or support one another effectively. Something perhaps that you've learned from running this group or interacting with lots of, of women and any ideas around ways you know, I think, I think probably, I mean, it's a good question and I wish I had a much more clever answer, but I think to me, it's really about being open and hearing each other. And I think we see a lot of that in the group. And then sometimes we're surprised when women don't do that in the group. And it's like, we notice it. It's like, what are you doing? I mean, I think hearing each other's stories, asking how we can help, thinking about what would be useful, um, I mean, one of the great things about the group is that it's an amazing resource. You know, women come to the group when they're in crisis and need, need advice, advice and also practical resources. I mean, we've had women, one great story from like a year ago was a woman who, whose adult daughter was living in the Bay area and was having a really, 
because of childhood issues and family dynamics, really difficult relationship with money. And the mother was watching her daughter kind of repeat some like really age old family mistakes and issues around money. And she posted about it and we came in and people gave her incredible resources, you know, coaches in San Francisco and books and like all sorts of really practical ideas that this woman then took to her daughter and really tried to. So I, I think, I think being open and allowing each other to really tell our stories in an honest way is hugely powerful. Um, it's like yeah. honesty begets honesty in some ways. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I think we all know what it's like when you're around women who aren't so generous and what that feels like. And um, we all have, I had an experience like that just the other day. I went to a book party um, and the energy was, was a little weird. Um, you know, women can be competitive and can be not so generous and they shouldn't yeah. be. Well, I, I appreciate that. Well, Nina, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with me. Um, it's exciting for me to actually get to talk to you, and I hope that we can stay in touch. It's fun. We'll totally stay in touch. I really love doing this, and I can't wait to listen to it. And and thank you for you know wanting to talk. I appreciate well, it. Thanks so much. 